Spiritually, it's a great horror, this false faith that's going to be alive and well during the tribulation. So that was judged in Revelation 17, and then in Revelation chapter 18, the political, or even maybe the military, the political Babylon, some great city that becomes the Antichrist capital of the world. This great city is judged. And when you get to Revelation chapter 18, you realize that you're getting towards the end of the great tribulation. Now, you know and I know that the tribulation lasts seven years. And, but the last three and a half years of it, so the first three and a half, still part of the tribulation, but the last three and a half years of the seven years are called the great tribulation. Now, here's what I want you to think about, and then I'm, we're going to look at several Bible verses in a minute. But in seven years, God is going to be pouring out His wrath on the earth. As a matter of fact, several places it describes that His wrath is the, it's called the wine of His wrath. And it would say it's the wine of His wrath undiluted. Now, that's significant because in Bible days, wine, when, when something would ferment... Uh, Really, they didn't. You know, this was one of their primary drinks. They had water or wine, and so if something did have time to ferment, it was always mixed with water. Okay, most of the wine never fermented. They had to drink it. But if it were fermented, they would dilute the wine. And so, Christ is telling John that in his judgment, using that as a, a word picture is that His wrath that's going to be poured out on the world is not diluted at all. It's 100% the wrath of God. But then you come to Revelation 19, and it says after this. And so what we might think is at the end of the seven years... Now, we know that something else has to happen on the earth. The tribulation's been going on for seven years. There's one more major event that's going to happen on the face of the earth. And what's that called? The battle of what? The battle of Armageddon. It also appears in Revelation chapter 19. But where the text takes us in the first part of Revelation 19 is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now I want you to think with me real quickly. If seven years is, and it is, scholars tell us this, that the number seven is the number of completion. It's kind of God's perfect number. Some, symbolically, that's why the mark of the beast, it's called, it's the number of a man, six, six, six. It's, it falls short, it falls short, it falls short. It's a fake, it's a fake, it's a fake. It's not real. But God's number of perfection is the number seven. So this one thing I want you to think about is when you and I are raptured, if if we're alive, you know, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then the, the dead will rise first, and then the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians, those of us who are alive and remain will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. It says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, and it implies this in John chapter 14, and also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are alive and remain will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. But what's going to happen when we get to heaven is we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment, right? Now, 
At some point, while there's seven years of tribulation going on the face of the earth, all these 21 acts of wrath, the seal judgments, the, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments, during this seven years of tribulation, while God's pouring out His wrath on the earth, the Bible says that you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't know how long that's going to take, but I do know one thing. The seven years of tribulation on the earth, the opposite of that's going to be the seven years that Christ is perfecting His bride, right? If seven years the number of perfection and seven is the number for perfection, while God's pouring out His wrath on the earth, the other thing He's doing is in heaven, He's perfecting His bride. The Bible says that every one of us, though we're saved, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians, and it tells us that in Romans 14. Now let me just mention something about the judgment seat of Christ. Now especially when Paul uses this in the context in 1 to the Corinthians, <clears throat> a judgment seat, the, the word he uses is bema. Okay? It's called the bema seat. And specifically to, to Corinth, they had an event every two years. It was kind of like a miniature Olympic Games. In Olympia, they had the Olympics every four years. But in Corinth, they had an event called the, <clears throat> the Isthmian Games. Big word. Isthmus is, is a body, a, a piece of land that has three parts of water around it. Called an Isthmus. They called it the Isthmian Games. And they, they, it went, they, they celebrated it every two years. Well, at the games, they had a judgment seat, a Bema seat. And the Bema seat was there for folks to receive their rewards. Now, here's what's great about the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the one thing we know we're not going to answer for is for our wicked sins, right? Amen? Did Christ not die for sin? Okay. And if you know Him and you've been born again, He's imputed to you His righteousness. So when, when Paul uses, same word in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians, when he uses the Bema seat word, it's the place where, where the winners were rewarded. And so we understand that the judgment seat is not to judge us for our sins. It's to judge us for our commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you'll remember in 1 Corinthians 3, it's everything's going to be tried by fire. You know, and if we've done things as if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's just we give God the leftovers, apathetic, it'll be burned away. And we'll suffer loss. But if our deeds are like gold, silver, and precious stones, we'll receive an, a, an award or reward for that. So... What you need to know when you're thinking about when you come to Revelation chapter 19, after this, so after the end of the tribulation, well, the bride of Christ has been perfected while God's been judging the world and really not only has been judging sin on the world, He's been preparing the world for His return. And it's soon to come. So God has perfected His bride in heaven for those seven years and now the bride's fixing to come back with Christ to reign on this earth. And that's where we pick up in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. But before you read Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, I want you to hold your finger here and go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And 
I want to read to you something. I find this just so interesting um, about what we're supposed to be doing uh, for Christ in this world now. I'm in Revelation chapter 1. I just want to read verse 1, and then we're going to go to chapter 22. Okay, Revelation 1, 1, and then Revelation 22. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him... So the Father gave the Son the revelation to show to His servants. Servants. The things that must soon take place, He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John. The revelation is for Christ's servants. Anybody who's ever been saved is a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, let me correct something. Some of your translations may say bond servant. In the ESV it says servant, but it's the word for slave. We are a slave that this was written for the slaves of Christ. Now, go to Revelation 22. At the end of the story in Revelation chapter 22... This is, this, is the, this is the new heaven and the new earth, the river of life. I'm picking up in chapter 22, verse 1. So the revelation was given for His slaves. What it says in Revelation 1.1, for His servants. You have to ask yourself, are you a servant of Christ? Are you a slave of Christ? Are you a bondservant? Are you bound to Him because of His death, burial, and resurrection? You know, the... In Bible days, servants could change owners. You know, they, they, one could buy the other. And, but, but we're not those kinds of... We're, it's that, well, the word's different. It's the word doulos. It, it's, it's, it's a slave. Ask yourself, are you a slave of Christ? Well, at the end of the story, chapter 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of life, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Interesting, isn't it? You can imagine the river of life. Now this is after the new heaven and the new earth. It's new Jerusalem. So, so this, is, this is the end of the story. But then it says... Uh, it says, the leaves of the tree, the, tree, the leaves from the tree of life, uh, were for the healing of the nations. Now, again, this has nothing to do with what I want to talk about this morning or preach or teach about, but the word healing, you with me? You're looking at, you know, everybody's talking about everybody needs to be in therapy. This is the word therapy. Do you me tell you what people need? They need the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I right? That's the truth. The word healing there is our English word therapeutic. I like that. For the healing of the nations, it's the tree of life, the leaves. So all the nations, you know, on the face of the earth where Christ is ruling and reigning, they, all they need is Christ. Well, it says, uh, verse 3, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, 
and His slaves will worship Him. Isn't that all? And then it says, they will see His face. Folks, I can't wait to meet face to face the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may tell you what we're going to do when we see Jesus. You know, all these little petty questions you think you're going to ask Jesus. You know what you're going to do? You're going to worship Him. That's the word liturgy. You're going to experience worship as you've never experienced it before. But let me tell you something else. If we're going to worship Christ there, shouldn't worship mean something here? See, did you know that morning uh, corporate Lord's Day worship is, a, is supposed to be just a little taste of what heaven's going to be like? Because we're going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Amen? Now, before we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I want to do one other thing with you and for you, and I should have done this several, several weeks ago. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want to show you this uh, thing called the, the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? Because the Bible says everybody whose names is written in the Lamb's Book of Life are the ones that God's going to save. I just want you to see this book. So, first of all, you have your Bibles. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. It's the only time the Lamb's Book of Life or the Book of Life is mentioned outside of Revelation. So, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And look at verse um, Philippians 4. I'll just pick up at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and Sinchi, these are two ladies in the church at Philippi, and I know you're not going to believe this, but they were fussing, okay? It's interesting how realistic, I mean, you're reading the Scriptures, it's just real. These ladies are having their fuss. Now, they're both spiritual, obviously it seems that they're both spiritual leaders in the church, but they've had a little tiff. And, and Paul has heard about that. So he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sinchi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored, look how it describes him, these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Don't you like that? Do you know what testifies that our names are really in the book of life? that we too are working side by side with the Apostle Paul and we're obeying the Scriptures. I love that. Paul reminds that these believers that are so committed to serving Christ, he reminds us that their names are in the book of life. Now let's go to the book of Revelation. And there's two ways to describe this book. It's often called just the book of life. And then what's the other name? The Lamb's book of life. Two times, I believe, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the same book. And then most of the time, it's called the Book of Life. I just want to show you 
the several times that this, this, this description appears that, that your name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. Look at chapter 3, and I just I won't put it in, I'll just read the verse. Verses 4 and 5. Um, of course, this is to the church at Sardis. It says, Yet you shall still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never... Now see, this... Again, I, I don't want to belabor the point, because that's not what we're talking about, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But, but the, this church, Sardis, not only represented a historical time in church history, but it's representative of every church of every age. So here's a promise to everybody whose name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God's not going to blot it out. Look what He says. And I will never blot His name out of the book of life. Revelation 3, verse 5. Now go to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Look at verse 5. And the beast, Revelation 13, 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty, and blasphemous words. Now the beast is the Antichrist. <clears throat> Let me remind you again that the word Antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. It all appears in 1 John. The word most often used is the word beast. Now he's called the son of perdition. There's other names, but most often is the word beast to describe the Antichrist. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's the last half of the tribulation. Okay? He, he rescinds the covenant he made with Israel. He goes to the temple and does that. And now he has, he's been allowed to have worldwide authority. See, who's in control of all this? God is, the Lord Jesus. See, Satan, uh, Satan is just a fallen angel. He's not God, and those that are serve Him are just servants of a fallen angel. Our God is mightier than He. So, you know, you, we might say that God's got Him on a rope, so to speak. I mean, He's not going to do anything outside the purview of the Lord Jesus' authority. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It, <clears throat> it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God blaspheming His name and His dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it... And isn't it interesting that the, the text doesn't use uh, pronouns, masculine pronouns for the beast. You notice, you see that? It's, it's neuter. It's it. It's an it. I find that interesting. You might want to do a study on that. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. So again, we've read this months ago. He'll have authority over every nation, every tribe. And now remember, that's why there is going to be a capital he, he rules the world from. There's going to be one city that becomes the Babylon of that day. It could be Babylon, could be Rome, could be New York. Anyway, so, somewhere is going to be the capital the Antichrist is going to rule. That, that's why what chapter 18 is talking about when this, when this city falls. But anyway, 
says authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. You with me? Everyone. Now this is during the tribulation. This is after you and I have been raptured, right? Look what it says. It says, well, worship everyone whose name, so people are going to, has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. What he's saying is, is that, that everybody in the world, this is during the tribulation, the last half, great tribu- during the great tribulation, the world's going to worship him, right? Except those that are saved. And the ones that are being saved have been, their names, this is what he describes, those have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. They're not going to worship because God's going to save them. They're going to be saved during the tribulation. That's Revelation 13, 8. Go to Revelation 17. I love the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation 17. Look at verse uh, 6. And, and I saw the woman... Drunk with, with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. <clears throat> this is the false. This is the this false religion. She's called a woman. That's why it's called a prostitute. It's a fake religion. Um, when I saw her, I marvelled greatly. But the angel said to me, "Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her." The beast that you saw, and he's just describing all of world history, these nations that it ruled. It says, the beast that you saw was and is not. Probably referring to him dying and coming back alive. And is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was, it was and is not, and has come back. So what he's saying is, is when the Antichrist has this fake resurrection, or it may be a real resurrection, it's, it's a fake Jesus. When he does this towards the middle of the tribulation, the world's going to worship him because, quote, he's conquered death. But the ones that are not going to worship him are those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. If you're here today and you're saved, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Is it really 1125? Good grief. Okay. I have to rethink this. I said Revelation 20, didn't I? Okay. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence the earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture to describe God's sovereign knowledge of everybody. Okay? So, the dead and great and, the great and small standing before the throne 
and books were opened. Obviously, that's not the Lamb's book. That's this book's. Then another book was opened, and that is the book of life. So there's books, and there's the book of life. Your name's it needs to be in the Lamb's book of life. Look, look what he says. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So lost people. Remember I mentioned about our judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. This is the great white throne judgment. It's for lost people. And there's books that God's going to open and it records all the wickedness of all men that are not saved. And they're going to be judged according to what's written in the books. So let me ask you something. Are the wicked getting away with sin? No. That's why Paul says in Romans 3, they're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. They're stacking it up. We're not man's judge. Christ is man's judge. Keep reading. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So everybody, first they go to hell. Die and you go to hell. In hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. Then all the antichrist, the false prophet, all the law are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So you have to be saved and born again, or the option is you go to hell. Revelation 21. Verse 25, and it's talking about the, 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 the holy city and the new temple. It says, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory, I'm sorry, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, not anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be a part of this holy city. Amen? Now, let me show you one last thing. We're going to hold off on the marriage supper of the Lamb. That may surprise you because I only have one minute. But I want you to go to Luke. Go to Luke's Gospel. Go to Luke chapter 1. Let's, let's meet this Lord Jesus Christ that's going to be King of kings and Lord of lords and the one whom we worship. Before next Sunday, you can go and read John 14 because that's a marriage passage as well. But the marriage of the Lamb, Revelation 19, we'll pick up on next week. and Because it, it says the bride has made herself ready. I, and that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're living for Christ, preparing to meet Him. But I'm in, I'm in Luke 1. We'll close with this. Luke chapter 1. This is obviously the prophecy to Mary about her bearing the Christ child. And I just want you to look at who Jesus is.
Okay, you, you know who he is, but let's meet him again. We're just a few months away from Christmas, okay? Verse 32. He is mighty. He will be great. He's going to be mighty. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. So our Lord Jesus Christ is mighty. Our Lord Jesus Christ is divine. He's Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. He's mighty. He's great. He's divine. He's the Most High Son of God. He has authority because He's been given the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now that's Israel, okay? So Israel's going to be the capital of the world or universe. But that speaks over the house of Jacob forever. That speaks of intimacy. It's a family. Folks, we're the family of God now and we'll be the family of God then. It's intimate. Over the house of God. Over the house of Jacob forever. So it says, He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. This one we serve is eternal. He has eternal authority. He has eternal responsibility. And we're going to be His slaves. His slaves will worship Him. But that starts now. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open to the Lord Jesus this morning. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed and Folks, I just, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just thinking about who Christ is and, and your names being written in the Lamb's book of life, knowing it can't be blotted out. But also knowing that this massive responsibility that, that one day we're going to see Him face to face. And we're going to stand before Him at a seat of judgment and, and we're going to be held accountable for being His slave and His servant in this world. Our commitment to His body called the church. We are the body of Christ. What, what we do in the body, we're going to be responsible. We're going to answer for that. His slaves will worship Him. Do you, is that you? Now, folks, if you're here today and, and this means nothing to you, you're not saved. You're lost. And I'm begging you to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Surrender your will to Him now. He's Lord. Surrender your will to Him. Trust Him. He'll make you a new person. But folks, this invitation is also for 
the rest of us that are saved. The Bible says when we get there, we're going to serve Him. We're going to, we're going to serve Him there. But everything doesn't start there. It starts here. Are you a servant? Are, let's go further. Are you a slave of the Lord Jesus? Is He your master? Probably our greatest sin, my sin and your sin, is the sin of idolatry. Is I'm on the throne a lot and rather than Christ. Folks, if you're here today, isn't it time to put Christ back in His exalted place over your heart and your mind and your life? Folks, your priorities indicate, just like mine sometimes, Christ isn't Lord. That needs to change. Before we stand and sing, I want you to know, here's the invitation. If you're here today and, and you've never been saved, I'm inviting you to come tell me that. It's going to be hard. Yes, it is. But you can do it. You take that first step and amazingly the Spirit of God will bring you. So you come and, and I'll show you in Scriptures how to be saved today. But also this is for everybody in here that's saved. Is Jesus your Master? It's time to put Him on the throne again. Father, we love You and thank You for this privilege of responding to Your Word. Move among us now, we pray in Christ's name. We stand and we sing. Change my heart. Stand with me. We stand and we sing. For a moment, if you need to come, I'll wait on you down front. You come right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that nourishes us. Father, we thank you for the body that sustains us. And Father, we pray as we uh, uh, dismiss uh, out of this uh, uh, service today and go into the world, that Father, we take that word with us. Father, we share it uh, in the place that we find us, Father, and that, uh, that we offer the same nourishment, sustainment to the world that we receive through uh, through your grace and mercy. Father, be with us now as we dismiss. Father, keep us safe. Father, give us the opportunity. Uh, pray that we would take the opportunity to serve you where, where it presents itself. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.